a sad ending to a life that had so much promise, and an irrational love from his father. Coming up on The Balanced Word. Glad you could join us today for The Balanced Word with Pastor Dave Rolf as we continue our series, Kingdom Building. We'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 18 if you want to find your place there now. In recent studies, we followed the story of Absalom and David, a son trying to kill his father. We're about to hear the very sad ending to Absalom's life, and you might think his father would be happy about it and relieved, but that wasn't the case. Here's Pastor Dave with part one of Irrational Love. Way back when David, who tended to be distant and, and he already felt guilty for what he had done by everyone knowing that he had taken Bathsheba as his wife after killing her husband and all of that. Well, one of David's other sons, Amnon, had molested one of his daughters, who was the full sister of Absalom. So Absalom's waiting for his dad to do something about it and he does nothing. So he takes it into his own hands after two years, and he kills his brother, or actually had someone else kill him, had the servants kill him, which to me, I'm like, it's about time. Two years, the guy gets away with this. But, you know, David didn't really deal with it, but Absalom ran off, and he spent three years in exile. And secretly, probably a lot of people are like, I miss that guy. He was friendly and outgoing and good-looking. And ultimately, Joab went to David and goes, you got to let the kid come back. And so David goes, okay, he can come back to Jerusalem, but I don't want to see him. So he comes back. Eventually, after another couple years, he brings him in before David, and, and David kisses him, and then there he is. All this time, Absalom was being Absalom, charming, outgoing, friendly, and people liked him. And so he was making more and more and more friends. And eventually he decided, it's time for me to take over as king. I'm sure people were talking to him and going, your dad's kind of losing it. You know, he doesn't say much. It's been a while since he wrote a hit song. Um, you know, and so they're giving him this and whoever feeds it, probably Ahithophel, who was David's top advisor, who also was the grandfather of Bathsheba, who probably really resented David, was maybe putting this in his, in his head. And so we saw where he ends up, David won't fight for the country in Jerusalem. He doesn't want a war, a civil war, in the holy city. And so he actually runs, takes off, takes a lot of his family with him. His generals end up following him. A lot of other people did too, but he heads out into the wilderness. Meanwhile, Absalom is like, what do I do now? He doesn't know, man. All he's ever done is be a model. And now he's like supposed to be king? How do you do that? And so Ahithophel was more than willing to help him. And he goes, first thing we got to do is kill David. And I'm just the man to do it. Well, if having an Instagram model lead your country is a bad idea, having a philosopher do it is a bad idea too. So here's this college professor who is saying, I'll go kill David myself. Now, what ended up happening with Ahithophel makes you think that this was a suicide mission and he knew it. 
I mean, David and his men know how to fight. You're going to go out there and meet them in the wilderness. But Ahithophel, I think, had a death wish anyway. He was so bitter and angry. But he also first gave the idea of Absalom, you know what you should do? You should go into David's house where he left 10 of his concubines and you should have your way with these 10 concubines out in public, pay-per-view. This will be awesome. Everyone will see you as a king. That's the stupidest idea. They won't admire, nobody admires that. They're like, oh yeah, he looks, his hair looks great today. What? What's he doing now? The death penalty was required of somebody under Jewish law who would do something like this. But Ahithophel got him into it and then said, let me go and lead in the war. Well, then Hushai, who was secretly loyal to David, he goes, Absalom goes, what's your opinion of the idea of, of sending the guy with a jacket with the leather sl- uh, sleeves on it to go into war? And he goes, well, what you need to do is... For one thing, why should Ahithophel lead the army? You want to be king, you need to lead, but you first need to take the time to recruit soldiers from all 12 of the tribes because mostly David was huge in Judah and Benjamin, but the rest of the tribes were kind of distant and sort of out there, kind of like red state, blue state thing. So then he goes, okay, yeah, I like that idea better. So Ahithophel so bummed he went and hung himself because it's really what he wanted to have happen anyhow, but nobody took his advice. So now we come to chapter 18, and we're going to see what happens when Absalom takes the advice of him thinking that he can be a general, and he can lead an army, and he can go finally establish himself truly as the king of Israel. But when we're looking at David and Absalom, we should really avoid simple explanations. These guys had an incredibly complicated relationship, and they were very complex people. And so let's look at what happened and then consider, how do we make sense of all this? Because, by the way, the easiest way to interpret the scripture and the easiest way to explain the scripture is to just have good guys and bad guys. And either you go, oh, this is all David's fault, or you go, oh, this was all Absalom's fault. Truth is, when you read the Bible, you find out that there were really good things and bad things about both of them, and it's our job to sort through that and try to make sense of it. So, 2 Samuel chapter 18, David lined the people up. He numbered the people who were with him. This is what they would do when they were ready to uh, you know, go into war. They organized themselves, and they set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. He has quite a decent amount of people who are with him out in the wilderness. And, of course, he knew the wilderness because he spent the greater part of his life out there with a lot of these same people. And then David sent out one-third of the people under the hand of Joab, one-third under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruah, and Joab's brother, and one-third under the hand of Ittai the Gittite. So these are two generals that have always been with him, these brothers. And then you have Ittai, who had come along lately, was a Gentile, but he was totally loyal to David. When David said, hey, well, you don't need to be with me, Ittai's like, I'll die with you. And he was obviously a good soldier as well. And so he goes, here's what we're going to do. You guys divide up. They're organizing for war, which is what you should do. Now, first of all, you compare that to Absalom's army. In the previous chapter, we saw that Absalom, he goes, I need a general. He picked a general who was like, the way it describes him is laughable. He was like 
um, the next door neighbor of the son of somebody that used to live in Joab's neighborhood or something. You know, he's really a distant relative. This guy doesn't know anything. Absalom's never fought in a war. He hasn't been a soldier. He's been coddled and protected. He was posing for pictures while other people were actually doing war. So now, obviously, this thing, if you're looking at it objectively, it can only end one way. This is not going to end well. Now, I should say, too, that there's a lesson here for thinking that somehow, well, he looked for people to lead who were experienced soldiers. And I think that we can't emphasize this enough, the importance of somebody who has actually been in a battle. It's why we honor veterans, because there's something about somebody who will put their life on the line. You better trust that person. I don't care if that guy like Joab, maybe he's an old veteran. Maybe he's like, I don't know. Hey, if you've ever been out where there are street fights, you find out. I've seen over and over again a young studly guy just get the crap beat out of him by an old guy. Because an old guy, they've been fighting their whole life. An old guy isn't afraid of bleeding. He's not, oh, you hit him. He's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Good thing I have two arms. I'm going to kill you with this arm. That's what old, wily veterans do. And that's David's army. Old, scrappy guys who know what they're doing. And you can trust them. And in fact, they were. So David, after dividing them up, he goes, in the end of verse 2, I also will surely go out with you myself. I mean, that's really impressive. That David, who's fighting for his life, for his existence, says, you guys are in charge, but I want to join this battle as well. Now, there are a couple ways that you need to look at this. For one thing, yeah, David was a mighty man of valor. He had been his entire life. So you want that experience. However, as we will see, he's going against his son that he loves. And I think that the Joab and these guys were like... I don't know if we want you there because there might be things that have to happen that you don't want to see. And so, but they very kindly, the way they explained it to him was, oh, no, you, you shouldn't go because if we get killed, big deal. But if they take you out, you're better off back here giving us counsel and advice. Smart. And, you know, I don't know if David bought it or not, but he stayed. And he says something that's really fascinating in verse 4. Then the king said to them, whatever seems best to you, I will do. To me, this is where you see David's greatness. You see that David goes, you know what? You guys work for me. I'm the leader. But you know what? I'm going to listen to you, and I am going to take your advice. No one is a great leader who lords it over everyone and just tells them what to do. Great leaders will always listen to input, and he does. And this is one of the things I love about David. This is one of the things that these people loved about David, that he wasn't like, it's my way or the highway. My will is all that matters. I was like, okay, if that's what you guys want, fine. So he stood by the gate waiting to see what would happen. And so in verse 5, though, the king had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, the three generals, three captains, saying, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains orders concerning Absalom. How in the world 
Are you going to defeat the guy who is trying to kill you if you don't hurt him? How do you deal gently with someone who is attacking you? This is the problem as to why David couldn't do it. He tells this to his generals, but the truth is he probably knew, and they certainly knew, if it comes down to it, this kid is going to get hurt. This kid, we can't spare him because he is the rebellion. He is the civil war. He is the one who is trying to accomplish this. And so David gives kind of a, a, an irrational and impossible demand. And the generals understand, though. It's like Joab's been there many times before where he had to kind of go against a direct command in the best interest to save the life of his king. And so we see that happening. But so the, the armies attacked, it says, and, and the battle was in the woods of Ephraim in verse 6. And they were getting killed. A great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. 20,000 of the um, people from Israel, from the, from the northern tribes. And the battle was scattered over the face of the whole countryside. And look at verse 8. The woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. People differ as to exactly what that means. There are some people who would say, oh, this means that the trees, God made the trees attack the people. Or, you know, that ghosts came out and did this or whatever. Most likely, I would think, is that, see, David's men knew how to fight in this terrain. Many of them had been with David when he was running from Saul and living in this area for a long time. Where these other guys, they might be young and they may have weapons, but they don't know how to fight in this kind of an environment. It's similar to the, in the American Revolution when, um, and most of you probably don't realize that Britain used to actually be a powerful nation, but they were. But they came to war against America and they wore these bright red uniforms with X's on the front. <laughs> Americans were all scrappy. They couldn't even afford uniforms. So they climbed in trees and hid under bushes and picked off the Brits. You know, the next time Britain invaded was the Beatles in the 60s. But, you know, so it was a wrong strategy not understanding the environment. By the way, we as Americans endured some of this in the Middle East in the Vietnam War where they had advantages of tunnels and traps and they knew the terrain we kind of didn't we've had the same thing in the middle east where you know our equipment doesn't work that well in sand dunes and so this is always the case you have an advantage if you know the area and so most likely that was what happened is they were just getting wiped out because they weren't prepared to do battle in this kind of an environment but i don't know for sure that's i'm, I'm just assessing that it's likely but uh then in the middle of all this, they're getting trounced. And Absalom, in verse 9, met the servants of David, and he was riding on a mule. He looked good on a mule, but he's riding a mule? Great. The mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth. He's like, man, I should have got my annual haircut before this. But So he, left, he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule just keeps on going and left him hanging there. Now there was a guy, a certain man who saw it and he came and told Joab, hey man, I just saw Absalom hanging from a terebinth tree. And Joab said to the man in verse 11 who told him, 
You just saw him? What do you mean you just saw him? Why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you 10 shekels of silver and the championship belt. A belt, actually. So, but the man goes, look, I heard David tell you guys, don't hurt Absalom. You could have given me a thousand shekels of silver and I wouldn't kill the king's son. Because if I did, I know you, Joab. David would tell you, this guy killed Absalom. And you would go, okay, well, I'll go kill him and then we're even. And so he goes, no, not going to do that. And otherwise, I'd just be fighting against my own life. For there is nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself would have set yourself against me. Then Joab said, I can't linger with you. He's like, you just can't get good help nowadays. And so he took three spears in his hand, and he thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. And then apparently that didn't kill him. Ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. So he stabbed him, but then he got 10 other people to be poking him too. It's kind of like a, um, you know, when, you, when you execute someone by a firing squad, you have a bunch of people shooting, and that way nobody could say, yeah, I'm the one that actually killed him. So he ended up dead. And then Joab, in verse 16, blew the trumpet, said, okay, it's over. It was over because Absalom was dead. They understood that. Absalom is the, is the thing that stands in the way of success and failure in this war. And so they took Absalom and they put a big heap of stones over him. And look at verse 18, it's kind of interesting. Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself. He had a place that he made a little monument for him, which is in the King's Valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name. And to this day, it's called Absalom's Monument. It's kind of weird because earlier... We read that Absalom had three kids at least, two sons and a daughter. I don't know what happened to them. It's like, it doesn't tell us, it's interesting, but by this time, he is apparently no longer a father. And he's like, all I have left is the monument that I am going to leave. And so he did. So then they're like, how do we tell David? And so, first of all, Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok, who was one of the priests, came and said, hey, let me run after the Cushite. He had sent this Cushite to go, you go tell David, but you don't have to give him all the information. But also the Cushite isn't Jewish, so if he gets killed, oh, well, life is tough. But then here the priest's son is going, let me go and get there after him. But he was way faster. And so as they ran, David's looking, the watchman's looking. They're like, there's two guys coming. And David goes, oh, that must be good news. And he goes, one of them looks like, you know, the priest. And he's like, huh. So he ends up running faster, and he comes and said, and David's like, he's a good man. I'm sure this is good news. So he goes, hey, all is well. And the king said, is the young man Absalom safe? That's all he cares about. Did my son survive? Not about his armies, not about anything else. Ahimeaz answered in verse 29, When Joab sent the king's servant and me, your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was about. So he goes, I don't know. I'm not sure. I saw a bunch of activity, but I don't really know what it means. He knew what it meant, but he's trying to let David down easy. Kind of like that old story of the, the family that, you know, they went to vacation in Hawaii and they left their neighbor in charge of watching their cat. 
The first day in Hawaii, they get a phone call, hey, your cat got killed. And they're like, you just ruined my whole vacation. Why couldn't, why'd you have to tell me like that? They go, well, what would you want me to do? And they said, they said, well, you could have said, hey, the cat's up on the roof and I can't get her down. Then you could call me the next day. I don't know, she's looking kind of hungry. Just make it a little easier. So they go, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So the next day, they're in their hotel room and they get a call, hey, your mom's up on the roof and we can't get her down. <laughs> so that's kind of what they're doing. Like, well, it's, I don't know, I'm not sure there's a lot of activity. And then this dumb Cushite, who doesn't know any better, comes and he, he like gets there later. He's all out of breath. And David's like, do you know anything about Absalom? And he goes, oh, man, all of your enemies should be like him. Oh, David wasn't. That's not what he wanted to hear. But you look in verse 33, and he says, he was deeply moved. And he went up to the chamber over the gate went into the closet and he wept. And as he wept, he said thus, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. A sad end to the life of Absalom, a life that had so much promise, such a complicated relationship, and now he's dead and David's heartbroken. You're listening to The Balanced Word with our pastor and teacher, Dave Rolfe. Today's message is part of our study in First and Second Samuel called Kingdom Building. Stay with us for more teaching from Pastor Dave in just a moment. These programs are available by podcast at thebalancedword.com. You can also call and request a CD copy at 949-362-7475. You might also want to request the entire Kingdom Building series. Again at 949-362-7475. We'd also like to offer you Pastor Dave's Through the Bible in a Year series on a USB thumb drive for a gift of $25 or more. Go Through the Bible in a Year with Pastor Dave by ordering this special series today. Again, call 949-362-7475 or order online at thebalancedword.com. Your gifts help to make these shows possible on stations like this one all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us with either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support. Donations can be made at thebalancedword.com. Have you had a chance to listen to Pastor Dave's one-minute messages? You can listen to those at thebalancedword.com and even join our mailing list, so you can have them delivered to you each day. You can watch them on Instagram or Facebook, too, by following CC Pacific Hills. Pastor Dave would love to have you join us at Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Our service times on Sunday morning are at 8, 9.45, and 11.30. Directions and more information about the church can be found online at ccpacifichills.org. You can watch our live stream there too, ccpacifichills.org. Now with this final point of application, here again is Pastor Dave. When we judge this situation and when we look back on these men, let's try to be fair. And first of all, put yourself in the place of Absalom. So, oh yeah, he shouldn't have done what he did. He did so much. Well, First of all, Absalom was, he had to grow up being David's son. That's not easy. Can you imagine? He's like 14 and people are like, oh boy, Absalom, you're getting pretty tall. Yeah, I remember when your dad was 14, he killed Goliath. What are you going to be when you grow up? He's like, well, I'm getting my hair done. 
how horrible that must be. And people are waiting, like, when are you going to do something? And then when he tries to stick up for what's right, he gets banished from the kingdom. He still doesn't have a conversation with his dad. When he finally gets back, they never really reestablish relationship. He looks at his dad's bad example. And then at the same time, you realize he got horrible advice from his dad's best advisor. Ahithophel dragged him into this because Ahithophel had a death wish. And so Ahithophel is the one that came up with the idea of, hey, you know, if you go molest all of your dad's concubines out in public on pay-per-view, that'll be awesome. Are you kidding? They hated that. People were disgusted by him at that point. He'd lost so much support, but take it from, you know, from Absalom's perspective, I was listening to the guy that everyone said, when you hear from Ahithophel, it's like you're hearing from God. We saw that in the previous chapter. So he's trying to take the advice that he's trying to take, but also, you know, let's face it, his relationship with his dad was problematic at best. They certainly didn't understand each other. They rarely communicated. Again, as we talked about a few weeks ago, you know, David was this introvert that was spending time with the Lord and writing poetry and things like that and leading the country. And Absalom's like friendly, outgoing, and great backslapper and a good-looking guy. And so they never really meshed. They never really, I don't think either one of them understood the other because in the end, Absalom really didn't even know his dad. He certainly didn't understand what made his dad tick, that's for sure. We'll save the rest of this message, Irrational Love, for the next Balanced Word with Pastor Dave Roth, a presentation of Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Wake up my soul, wake up early in the day, wake up my hands, and 